Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 3. The book of John chapter 3. You can, you can become a Christian without knowing the whole Bible, correct? Right, thank goodness, because none of us know the whole Bible. But you can be a Christian, you can be saved with uh, a limited knowledge, if it's the right knowledge, and of course with God's working in your life, and in your heart. Um, but to be saved, there are some basic things that we need to know and that we need to share with others that they might be saved as well. And John chapter 3 is one of those chapters that Though you may not be able to name the 12 apostles, which we did in Wednesday night a few weeks ago, or though you may not know all the Ten Commandments by heart, which is a good idea if you do, John 3 and the teaching of it is something we all need to know. As a matter of fact, about this passage, Charles Spurgeon said, if, if you were ever asked to read to a dying man, read to him John chapter 3. And then he said, if it's good enough for a dying man, it's good enough for us all. Because we don't know when our time will be, Spurgeon said. And so John chapter 3 is a, is a great foundational scripture related to the gospel. And I hope that we will uh, focus in as we study it this morning. If you found verse 1, say word. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it, whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life.
we will stop there and save John 3.16 for Lord willing. I want to work through this passage and just explain as best I can these verses. And then at the end, I'm going to give you four points of application. So y'all ready? Here we go. First, who was Nicodemus? Who was this man? And we, 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 we know here that Jesus is um, in Jerusalem. It's the Passover. He's still there, like we talked about last week. And as he is there, um, at night, one night, this man Nicodemus comes to him. And we see in the text a few things about him. Verse 1, he's of the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees. We talk about them a lot when we go through the Gospels. They're this, this sect of Judaism. Of this, they're very religious, right? And they, they, they hold to the Old Testament law. And they also hold to these oral traditions of the Old Testament. Very religious, very educated, very um, influential people um, there in verse 1. And then, of course, Jesus calls him later on. And just put the regular question back up there. You don't have to jump back and forth. Yeah. And later on, Jesus called him... Uh, the mas- a master of Israel. And so, as the next thing says here, um, Jesse, go back there and help, please. Thank you. The next thing says, he is an influential, religious, educated teacher. And so, that's who this man is. He's not just some bum off the street. He's not just some weakling off the street. He is a man who knows stuff. And he comes to Jesus. So, verse 2 uh, the second thing we see is that, is the, the second question is, why did he come to Jesus at night? Why did Nicodemus come at night? And there's, there's differing opinions on this. I believe, um, I, I believe he came because he wanted privacy with Christ. He did not want other people maybe to see he was going to Christ because he might get, you know, made fun of. But he, he, he was interested. He saw, either saw or heard about the miracles Jesus had performed. I believe he probably saw some, and he wanted to know more. And so he, he wanted to go at night and maybe not be ridiculed for going to talk to this other religious guy in Jesus. And so I believe that's why he, he went at night. And in verse 2 he says, We know uh, you must be a teacher from God because nobody can do these miracles except God be with him. And so here's this man, influential, educated, religious. He comes to Jesus at night to have this conversation and then the third thing is, how does Jesus respond to him? Does Jesus say, yes, I am from God? Does Jesus say in verse 3, I am the Son of God, I am, did come as the Messiah? Is that what Jesus says? No. Interestingly, Jesus takes this conversation from who is he to what is he there for, which is salvation. And I found that interesting because oftentimes Christ would give people not the answer they were looking for, but the answer they actually needed, right? And I think God does that with us too, by the way. Have you ever had that happen? You pray about something, there's an answer you want from God or something you want God to do, but he doesn't always give us what we want, does he? But he gives us what we need every time. And so Jesus does that here. He, he takes it to this other place and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I want you to think, and, and for us, you know, all of us are familiar with the phrase born again, right? We grew up, in, you know, most of us here in the Bible Belt, we've been to church. When you hear born again, you know that means being saved, becoming a Christian or, or part of that. But Nicodemus, he was confused, right? He, he was like, 
you know, what do you, what do you mean here? But Jesus took this to a place of, of salvation. And for Nicodemus and these Jews like him, they thought because they were born from Israel, born into Israel, that that made them automatically a part of God's kingdom, right? They thought, well, I'm one of the chosen. I'm a part of God's kingdom. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, you must be born again. You must be born a, a second time. You see, these Jews, people like Nicodemus, they were looking for someone, a Messiah, who would come and make the Jewish people preeminent. And yet Jesus come, came to make himself preeminent as the Savior of sinners. That leads us to the next thing, and that's Nicodemus's confusion. Now, if we, if we keep looking down there toward verse 4, um, he's not familiar, right, with the term born again. And so I think this is kind of funny, but he says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into the womb for a second time? Now, that's silly, right? Um, why is he even asking that? That's kind of silly. But he was, he was confused, wasn't he, by what Jesus was saying. He was not quite understanding what Jesus was saying here. And, by the way, I think that's exactly what Jesus was going for so that he could further explain um, what he's talking about. That leads us to our next thing, and that is the new birth. Jesus here explains... In verses 5 and following, he explains the new birth. He says, except a man be born, in verse 5, of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there are theories here on what being born of water means. I wonder if y'all have a theory. Do you, can you think of one in your mind? What does it mean to be born of water here in this passage? Um, some people believe that's talking about baptism like the John the Baptist would do. Um, it's not enough to be born of baptism, but of the Spirit, which is God working in us. I don't believe that's the accurate theory. Uh, the, another one is physical birth, because when we're born, right, there's water involved <laughs> in that process. And, some, and there's some parallels here between physical birth and spiritual birth. I think that's a very good possibility here. A third one is that, is that spiritual cleansing. It's that spiritual cleansing, and, you know, people like Nicodemus would know the Old Testament is full of this stuff about water cleansing them, right? They would wash their hands and do these different types of ceremonial washings. And so some people believe that means that, this, this means that they would have this spiritual cleansing. It's not enough to be born of spiritual cleansing, but of, of, of physical cleansing, but of spiritual cleansing. I like both those last two um, theories, and we'll probably debate those on Wednesday night, but the, the bottom line is this. Jesus says, whatever you're doing physically, being born into this world of water, or if you've been cleansed by knowing the Old Testament, knowing the law, that is not enough for you, Nicodemus. You must be born again, right? And can't that apply to us? It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to be a member. It's not enough to be baptized. It's not enough to be a good person. We must be born again to go to heaven. We must be born again to know the Lord. And so in verses 5, 6, and 7, he explains that. And, and I, was, I love this doctrine of the new birth. It's also called regeneration. And I found some scriptures that I want to share with you there on the screen um, that are other places in the New Testament that talk about this. So 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, watch, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. The same language, right? Born again. Who caused that birth, by the way? What's it say? He caused it, according to his great mercy. Uh, look at the next one, 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then I love James 1, 18. It says, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I didn't put these up there, but Titus 3, Romans in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 5. All these different passages relate to this new birth. It is a thoroughly biblical doctrine that we must be born again and that God does the borning, making us born. Uh, this next slide, I want you to see this quote here. Oh, sorry, it's so small. But uh, see if y'all can see this. But J.C. Rouse said, The change which our Lord here declares needful to salvation is evidently no slight or superficial one. It's not merely reformation or amendment or moral change or outward alteration of life. Let's stop there. I believe there are many, many people in churches who, who have only had some type of reformation or moral change or an alteration of life outwardly who've never truly been born again through Christ. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that at the end, but we'll keep going. It is a thorough change of heart, will, and character. It is a resurrection. It is a new creation. It is passing from death to life. It is the implanting in our dead hearts of a new principle from above. It is calling into existence of a new creature with a new nature, new habits of life, new tastes, new desires, new appetites, new judgments, new opinions, new hopes, and new fears. All this and nothing less than this is implied when our Lord declares that we, we all need a new birth. And what's the focus, what's the emphasis word at the end of this quote? New, new, new. If we have been born again, we have been made anew. That doesn't mean we are, we're all, it doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't still have some old hang-ups. But the more you read Scripture, it, it, it emphasizes we are a new creation, a new creature. New, new, new. That's what God does when he makes us born again. One reason I enjoy talking about the new birth is because it emphasizes the sovereign grace of God. It emphasizes that he must do it. When you were born, right, into this world, you played a very small role, didn't you? You were just there. Your mom did most of the work, right? Um, you were just there. When you're born into God's kingdom, he does the work. He does the saving. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We've talked about this verse in this study a few times, but it says... Uh, for God, who said, let light, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, when someone is saved, it's because God shines that light into their hearts. And we know who gets the glory for our salvation. God does. When Jesus looked at this man Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again, he shattered all notions that we can take credit for our salvation. Shattered them. Destroyed them. God, we get the grace. God gets the glory. Let's continue to our next point. And we'll go to verse 8 and 
Here Jesus illustrates the Spirit's work with a very simple thing that I think we all can understand. He talks about the wind, doesn't he? Even, even us, we can understand this. We can walk out of this building and look out at our flag out there and, and we can see how windy it is, right? Can you actually see the wind? Not really, no, but you can see the effects of the wind, can't you? You can see whether it's blowing. On the way down here, I passed a few flags at some churches and people's houses, and you can see a bright, a slight breeze blowing, you know. And I don't see the wind, but I see the effects of the wind. And in verse 8, Jesus says the wind blows around, and you can hear it, but you don't really know where it comes from. You don't really know where it's going. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit does a work that is mysterious and is miraculous in the heart of a sinner. Next, the next thing here is Nicodemus is still confused. In verse 9, he's still, he's still questioning, he's still wondering. And simply in verse 9, he says, How can these things be? And Jesus answers him, How do you not understand? Now, you want to, do you feel sorry for Nicodemus? Or do you think he should know this? One reason he might should know this is because Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, which I, I promise, I feel, I feel very confident Nicodemus would know that text. That text says, it's God speaking, and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Now listen, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So Jesus says, do you not understand? You, you, know, this, you know this scripture, you know the text. Do you not understand that you must be born not only of water, but of the Spirit? That it's a work that God would one day do in his people. Then Jesus goes on in verse 11, and he, I believe he kind of rebukes Nicodemus here in verses 11 and 12 and following. And Look at verse 11 with me. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you do not receive our witness, he basically says. Um, verse 11 to me is interesting because have you ever talked to someone who, and you're trying to tell them about God and they don't believe it? Have you ever had that conversation with an atheist or someone who doesn't believe in Christ or someone who doesn't believe the things of God like we believe? That can be frustrating, can it? Like, why won't they believe? Why won't they listen to me? Well, until now, this man is not even listening to Jesus, right? There were people that heard Jesus talk and didn't accept it or didn't listen to it. And I think that's maybe some comfort that when we give testimony and people don't listen, we're in good company. Verse 12, Jesus uh, continues to talk here, and, and he says, you know, how can I give you deeper things if you can't get the basics here? If you can't understand the basic things I'm telling you about earth, how can I tell you things about heaven? Mm. This is not really perfect application, but... This applies to, I want to apply this to us as believers as well. There are many of us believers, and maybe not in this room, but there are believers who never get past the milk of the word. And I want to encourage every one of us in this room who are Christians to 
Don't be satisfied on the milk of the word, but you want to get into the meat of the word, right? I mean, when we leave here in a few minutes, none of you are going home and having a milk lunch, right? I hope not, unless you're a baby. When you're a baby, that's fine, right? But we need some meat or we need some food, don't we? And spiritually speaking, a lot of Christians, even Christians who've been in church for a long time, are still on the milk of the word and have yet to get into the meat of the word. How do you get into the meat? You read the word, and when the preacher's preaching, you think about the word, and you you think about what's being taught, and you dive deeper into it. Jesus said to him, how can I teach you heavenly truths when you can't even barely grasp these earthly truths? The next thing is Jesus declares his nature. This is verse 13, and I'll just give this to you quickly here, but basically in verse 13, Jesus is um, just saying that he he is the Son of God. He is God. As we saw back in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And I think here Jesus is just telling him um, the Son of Man uh, came from heaven to earth. Then he illustrates the gospel in verse 14. I preached this in August of 2020. Some of y'all might remember if you have great memories. This story is so interesting to me, and it's in Numbers 21. 21, the people are in the wilderness wandering around, and they are complaining. They're like, God, we need this, we need that. God's got us out here walking around doing nothing, and they're frustrated. And do you remember what God does to punish them? He sends snakes. It's kind of crazy, right? God sends these serpents, these snakes, to bite the people. And these are deadly, poisonous, venomous snakes. And people will die from the snake bites. I mean, when God aims to judge, he, does, he is serious, right? And especially in the Old Testament, but even today, when God aims to judge, he's very serious. And so snakes will bite these people. They finally went to Moses and said, Moses, we're dying out here. Do something. Moses goes to God. He prays for them. And God tells Moses... A very interesting thing. Get a stick, make a serpent, a snake of bronze, put it on the stick, and hold the stick real high. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, really? I'm like, that's what we're doing? But Moses knew to trust the Lord, right? And so he, he made this bronze snake, he put it on a stick, he held the stick up, and God said this, anyone who comes and looks at that serpent will be saved, they'll be healed. So if they've been bitten, they were going to die because of those snake bites. But if they go and look at the snake, they'll be okay. I imagine there are people who died in the wilderness thinking, I'm not going to look at a snake. Do y'all think that might be possible? I think there are people who probably thought, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. I'm over here dying. I need some medicine. I need help. And you want me to go and look at something raised up on a stick? That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. I imagine there are people like that, but I also imagine there are people who went and who looked up on that serpent on that stick and they were healed. And I imagine they went and told everybody, if you've been bit, you need to go look at what's been lifted up, right? Do you see the parallels here? Do you see the the picture? Just as Jesus was lifted up on the cross, that all who look to him will be saved. The truth is we've all been bitten by the snake, which is to say sin, right? 
And our only way to be saved, as Isaiah 45, 22 says, look to me and be saved. You might be willing to do a thousand different things to be saved, but God says none of that matters. Only one thing matters, looking to Christ. And Jesus, I think he kind of ramps up this conversation here from being born again to the wind illustration in verse 8 to kind of rebuking Nicodemus. And then he said, Nicodemus, here's a story I know that you know up and down. And just as Moses lifted up that serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him, verse 15, will have eternal life. Surely, at this point, Nicodemus is beginning to understand the truth of what Jesus is preaching. Let's give you four, let me give you four points of application, and that'll be our message today. First, um, the first one is, just hit that button, there you go. A person can begin as a seeker, but end up as a servant. We will discuss this more, maybe in a couple months, but did Nicodemus become a Christian? Do y'all know? Anybody know? What do y'all think? Over in John chapter 7, Nicodemus is among some Pharisees, and he basically takes up for Jesus, or speaks out for Jesus. That's in John chapter 7. And then... After Jesus is crucified, did you know Nicodemus was there to help get his body down and care for his body and help, be, help have his burial? Nicodemus became a Christian. Nicodemus became a believer. And Nicodemus was there for Christ, uh, at least on those two occasions we see in the, in the Bible. And so the point is, this man might have started as like a, seeker just kind of asking questions but he became a servant of Christ and so I say that to you that if you're seeking something in life you're seeking religion you're seeking you know forgiveness you're seeking eternal life whatever it is you're seeking Christ is where you need to go to find the answer and if there's people in your life church family friends whoever who you know are kind of seeking for something don't give up on them, right? Because Christ can save. People can start as seekers and end up as servants. Number two, our second application is we should speak compassionate truth to those who seek. Jesus here, though he did rebuke him slightly, he also spoke with compassion and truthfulness. And he didn't just beat him over the head. He, he gave him some illustrations. He gave him some things to think about. Of course, next week we're going to see verse 16, he gave him the love of God in verse 16. And, and so the challenge in this application for us is to speak truth to, to those who might need to hear it and to be compassionate. And I don't believe people come to Christ often by getting beat over the head with stuff. But I do believe if we preach the truth and share the truth with people and love people, that can, God can use that to open their hearts to grace. And so we must speak compassionate truth. Number three, and this goes for anyone who may not already know this, but we must be born again of the Spirit. 
And you might be like Nicodemus this morning. You might be thinking, well, I, I can't again because I don't even know what that means. Well, what that means is, have you put your faith in Christ? And if you've put your faith in Christ, then he's already made you born again. If you haven't, you, you must look to Christ. We, we, too many people look for, as I said earlier, religion and reformation and not that relationship with God through Christ. You, listen to me, you don't, and I may be talk, talking to nobody this morning, but I'm going to say it anyway. You don't need religion. You need a new life that only Christ can give. Maybe that's for nobody. Maybe that's for somebody. You don't need a new religious experience or a new religious habits or a new religious plan. Primarily, first and foremost, you need a new life that only Christ can give through the Spirit. The second thing is, and this might be for just that one person, I don't know, or nobody, but you don't need to affirm that Jesus is supernatural. You need that supernatural thing that only the Spirit can do to work in you. You need to not affirm it, you need to experience it as you put your trust in Christ. And a third and last thing here is on this point, that we must be born of the Spirit, is you don't need to improve your old self. We want to do that. I've talked to so many people over the years. They'll come to church and they'll say, I just need to get this right. I need, I need to start getting back in church. I need to stop doing this and, and do this differently. And, and some of those folks, I'm just like, no, what you need is Christ, first and foremost. You need Christ. And all the other stuff will take care of itself and you'll work through that. But you don't need a reformed human nature. You need a new nature that only Christ can give. God does not make bad people good. God's plan is not to make you good. His plan is to make you and forgiven and confident that you have eternal life. Look, we don't know what tomorrow... I don't say this to be scary, but we're talking about it this morning. A few of us were, like with war, and who knows what's going on and what could happen, and we don't know what the next five minutes hold for us, but... But you need to be confident that when you leave this earth, you're going to eternal, eternal life in heaven. You need to be confident of that. And to be confident of that is not to be dependent on your own reformation, your own goodness, your own religion, but to know Christ has cleansed you and made you new. You need to be new. The fourth thing, church, we must have fruit of the Spirit. You might think this morning, I think I'm new. I think I've been a new creation. I think God's done a work in my life. Well, how, but how do I know for sure? And some preachers will say this. Some preachers will say, go back to that time in your life when you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior. And I think that's okay to do, by the way. If you can remember that time you saved and all that, that's great. You should think about that. That's a great testimony to think about. But that's not... What the Bible tells us to give up our faith. The Bible tells us this. If we are born of the Spirit, then we will produce in our lives, over time as we go, fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5 says, and this is tough, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Those are, what, seven or eight of the fruit of the Spirit. Those things should be a part of our lives, and we say, ooh, that's not good, because we struggle with some of those things. How many of us are patient? How many of us are self-controlled or peaceful as well? 
but Christians should have these fruits. First John, the little book of First John is filled with these things. It says things like, if you are a Christian, you will have a love for God. That seems kind of obvious, right? If someone says, I'm just, God's just kind of okay, that's not a Christian. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be a Christian and not love Christ and love the Lord. And, and, the, and First John says, if you love God, if you're a Christian, you will love His Word. You'll love the church, His people. This is why we can't say, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm just not going to be involved with the church. You can't love the church if you're not, to some degree, connected to a church. Yeah. Well, we, it's, it's, it's just biblical. It's not me. This is the Bible. And if you, if you sin and sin and sin and never feel conviction or never feel bad about it, that's not a Christian. A Christian battles sin, struggles with sin. Even when we commit it, we say, I should have done that. And we, we pray for forgiveness, and we know that's not right. That's what a Christian does. A lost person sins and just goes on about their business. A Christian says, That's right. can't, I, can't, I can't be happy that way. If you can be happy living a life of un-sin, then you're not a Christian, yeah. biblically. A Christian believes in Jesus always. They never lose their faith. We persevere because God has given us that faith. He's given us that grace. We can't lose it. Those are what the Bible says. First John, read it. I love that little book. Read it. So don't just think you are a Christian because you have a time in your head where you prayed a prayer or was baptized or a preacher told you you're good. If you don't have fruit of the Spirit, then maybe the Spirit never did a work in you. And that's what we need to hear this morning. And I hope you're sitting there thinking, I can see the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and I praise God that He has made me to be born again. I praise God that He has saved me, and I praise God that He's guiding me through this life of spirit living and spirit following and spirit obeying. I want to conclude with the J.C. Ryle quote. I just love reading J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle wrote about this passage, and at the end he said this, he said, and now let us solemnly ask ourselves whether we know anything of the mighty change of which we have been reading. Have we been born again? Can any of the marks of the new birth be seen in us? Can the sound of the Spirit be heard in our daily conversation? Happy is the man or woman who can satisfactorily answer these questions? And then very strongly, very, <laughs> this is not something I would say, but Ryle says it, and it's true. A day will come when those who were not born again will wish that they had never been born at all. A day will come when those who were not born again will wish that they had never been born at all. Are you born again? Let's pray.